Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. It is fall camp week. USC fall camp starts on Thursday. Players actually report on Wednesday, but we'll be out there on Thursday. So that means football is that much closer. Just days away from the start of the season, USC kicking off against Alabama. We want to talk with Coach Harvey Hyde, answer your questions about this USC football team. Very anticipated uh, fall camp for USC. A lot of new faces, a lot of new coaches. Uh, people doing things for the very first time, so we'll be getting in, into all of that here on the podcast today. If you have any questions for us, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can leave a voicemail a couple different ways. Call 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail right from your computer or mobile device. We're on iTunes, itunes.com slash Podcast. We're on Google Play. Just search Peristyle Podcast, Stitcher Radio, Audio Boom. Pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast, just search Peristyle Podcast. You can find us there. So without further ado, let's bring in the coach. Coach, what's going on, sir? How are you? Well, it's uh, beautiful. Uh, had a big week in Vegas last week, as you know. I was in Fresno, then Vegas. And now I'm back in Southern California getting ready for uh, football. I had a chance this weekend to be with Joanne Ashman, who is the owner of uh, – Traveler, I had I was invited to a barbecue with her and her crew. Do you realize it takes 16 people to handle Traveler as far as when they get up, when they walk her, when they saddle her, what time they get to the Coliseum? Uh, there are uh, student volunteers, and they were there that assist her and stay on after they graduate. It was just a wonderful setting to be able to sit back and find out the background of all of these kids and her and uh, the number of times that. Uh, They've been in the Rose Parade and how many riders they've had and all, all of this. It, it, it was very, very fascinating. But I don't want to, you know, talk too much on that because I know all of our listeners want to hear about football. So let's get into it. Sure, yeah. I, I mean, Coach, they do want to hear uh, about football. But that's a really interesting experience that you got to, to have. Anything just kind of stand out to you from um, getting all that information? Well, uh, you know, it, it's it's not an easy job. They're already training the young uh, horse to come up. Uh, they're talking about hoping they can go to Arlington. I guess this is something that's important, okay? Okay. And uh, they're hoping to go. It's it's expensive uh, because you trailer travel all the way down there, and you can't travel during the day because the highway is so hot that they're afraid they'll get a blowout on the tires. And also it's very hot in the trailer for the horse. So they're trying to raise some funds to make it down there and make sure the horse is there, the mascot is there. I mean, here you are on national TV, and the mascot may not be in Arlington against the University of Alabama, which, you know, I think should happen. Now, uh, will it happen? I don't know. And I don't want to get anybody in trouble on this now when I'm saying that they weren't <laughs> complaining to me. Okay, sure do, coach. They were not complaining. I just asked the simple question, are you taking Traveler to Arlington? And they said, well, we're not sure yet. So that's I'm not saying 
panic anybody. Don't make any calls to the university. I'm just mentioning that that was some part of our conversation. Because I think you can't de-emphasize what Traveler means to USC, not just to the football program, but the athletic department, the alumni, everybody, the players, when they look to the tunnel and they see Traveler come out. I, I just think that's part of college, a college experience for everyone. So, you know, I'm more or less in favor, and I hope that happens. So we'll wait and see what happens. All right. Well, good stuff there, Coach. Thanks for that. And wanted to uh, thank our sponsor, uh, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com or give them a call at 1-800-888-7287. They sponsored the podcast for a long time. We appreciate working with them for all the years. So if you need tickets for anything in Southern California, want to go to the USC-Alabama game, go to sctickets.com, and they'll help you out. Um, and, Coach, wanted to start off with a voicemail question. So let's go. Write the voicemail. Here it is. Hey, Ryan. Uh, this question is for you and uh, Coach Harvey Hyde. Wanted to know uh, your guys' opinion on player development in this day and age in comparison to when, uh, let's say, you know, I don't know, 20 years ago when um, high school kids were coming out of high school and, and entering into college. And also kind of same thing about coaching. Has coaching gotten better? Has the, have the player development gotten better in maybe one or two areas of each that maybe stand out to you, um, again, from this day and age to maybe uh, seasons past? Thanks. Right on. Well, thank you very much for your question. Uh, yeah, I think football has changed uh, as far as what it was a few years ago and what it is today. I think we have tremendous athletes today. I'm not saying they're better, but they're uh, more of tremendous athletes than there were in the past. Uh, more people are going to camps, more people are playing football at younger age, more people are uh, getting better coaching, not that they didn't have great coaching, but there's more opportunity to become a better athlete as far as training and strength and conditioning programs and all the agilities you do. You know, in the, in the summer, uh, high school athletes and college athletes used to work. And then they'd come to camp, and camp was to get in shape. So I think it's a whole different philosophy now of what the past is or was and what the future is now. I think also that football was more football as far as physical in the past. What I mean, we'll go to spring practice. In spring practice, we had 20 days of, of contact, not shorts or shimbal shirts or helmet and shoulder pads. I mean, we were full dress every single day. Every single day, one-on-one, inside drill, outside drill, goal line offense, two-minute drill, whatever the drill was, it was live. And what you tried to do in the spring as a player and a coach, you just survive. But you got better. You made the team in the spring. You found out who your players were in the spring. Hardly ever would a freshman come in and play in those days. They were just too far behind just because they weren't. Uh, up to that type of physical uh, endurance and so on. Today, it's more of, uh, uh, well, there's trying to put more rules in as far as, you know, one or two days of contact, this and that. Uh, spring practice is now 15 days and only so many days in pad and contact, 20 hours a week. I mean, all of these different things uh, uh, tend to change 
with the future and with the past. In the past, football practice was three and a half, four hours. Didn't make any difference. And sometimes we had three days during camp. Well, now that's all limited. So it's a whole different philosophy. So I think today's football players could play in the past, but I don't know if they'd be as tough as the football players in the past because you played with a bad knee. You played with a hamstring. You played with uh, a bruise somewhere because when you went to the training room, uh, you really didn't get much sympathy. It was more or less like, go get in the tub or go put some hot stuff on it, an analgesic bomb, or go over and get some diathermy. I mean, you had to be almost dead not to play. So it's a whole different philosophy, and it's good as far as the safety of players, uh, and uh, it's a different type of way for me to evaluate. But uh, there are more talented athletes now than there ever has been in the past, but maybe not as tough as athletes as they were in the past. Yeah, <clears throat> makes sense, Coach. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's just, I mean, technology's changed. The way athletes can hone their bodies. I mean, there's so much, and you know, you know so much more about it. I was talking to someone, a uh, former athlete today. He was asking me about fall camp, and I'm like, just even in the last five years. I mean, I remember covering two a day practices, and and now it's more of like, well, the the two a days are really just more of a walkthrough, and then, um. And then the, the second one is the real practice or vice versa. It's it's definitely changed a lot. They've backed off. And, I, you know, a lot of it's mandated by rules by the NCAA or, or the NFL even. Um, they, they've changed a lot, I guess, with the more knowledge of, you know, what, you know, ex- increased practices and heat and all that kind of stuff to do to your bodies, concussions, all that kind of thing. I think you know, the powers that be are a lot more cautious now than they were before. Well, I agree with you 100%. I had a nice uh, discussion with Jim Moore the other day. And uh, we were sitting down talking about uh, their San Bernardino camp. And I said, you know, I really like your idea of how you take them away from campus and you go out there in the heat. and It's not a, a party. It's not staying at the Ritz-Carlton, staying on campus or at a hotel out there. And it's how you get ready, know your teammates, and play. And uh, he said, yeah, we were out there 17 days last year. This year we're going out six days. We're going to go six days to two days. We're going to get it done. We're going to become a football team. We're going to hit. We're going to do all the things that are necessary. So when we come back to campus, we're ready to play. Last year, it was too many days. It was hot, and every day it was like putting an X through a day because uh, it's another day down. And there wasn't a lot to do because we could only practice one time a day in some situations. It was boring. So we're going to open up at home or at the, their field and work there and then go out to San Bernardino in the heat and get after it for six days and come back and get ready for football. And I also said, well, are you going to have a fall scrimmage? And I'm not passing on anybody. I don't think I'm giving any secrets out because everybody will know what's going on. And I, I'm sorry, Jim, if I am. But they're going to come back and they're not going to have an inter-squad sw- scrimmage. And what's, what's that about? getting ready for their opening game at Texas A&M. He says, you know, during a game, you only have 11 players on the field. But during a scrimmage, you have 22 players on the field. So there's a higher percentage that someone's going to get hurt. Now, I've never looked at it that way before. And he's absolutely right. And you run all the plays against yourself. So he says, when we come back from camp, all we're going to do is get ready to play football. So uh, I think that's something that 
everyone will find out, so I don't think it's any news, or I'm not giving out any secrets, because as the fall camp goes along, everybody will know this anyway. But I just want to give you the background of his thoughts and thinking as far as towards his fall practices. That is that is very interesting. I haven't really thought of it uh, that way. I was thinking you were going to go in a different direction, that you can only have 11 on the field, but in practice you can have a lot more people doing things at the same time. But during a scrimmage, obviously, you know, it doubles the number of players on your side on the field at once. And if you're playing very hard, which you'd hope they would do in a scrimmage, it, it's understandable, yeah, you could get a guy injured. But, I mean, that's that, if you're practicing anyway, even if you're having a practice, I would think the odds of getting injured are, are probably similar. But um, that is definitely an interesting way to look at it. I haven't thought of it that way before. No, I hadn't either. So uh, that's why I like to have these sit-down discussions occasionally with coaches when we do have that opportunity, but they're normally very busy. Yeah, but it was a very good sit-down uh, discussion. It was great talking football. All right, let's uh, let's move on to a question. We're going to hear from Gene in Orange County. He says, hey, Ryan, never missed the podcast. Thanks for doing it. Well, thanks for never missing one. We appreciate that. Uh, my question is for Coach Hyde. I have listened to him for many years and value his opinions. I wish he could have been named the USC coach. Oh, look at that coach. There you go. Uh, my question is, what exactly would he have done different the last few years from our other coaches? That would be offensively, defensively, play calling and recruiting. I'm sure we would have been a better team if we have, if he would have been the head coach. Thanks again for the podcast, Gene in Orange County. Well, high praise from Gene, man. Well, Gene, I'll tell you what, I want to thank you very much for those comments, but, uh, I don't know if I could live up to that that uh what do you call that statement but i certainly would have loved uh in my young younger days to take advantage or try that i tell you usc to me is the number one coaching job in the country i have that type of pride in the program i didn't go to usc i coach at different universities but when you talk trojan football and used to watch the trojans play and we talked about traveler coming on the field which they don't they limit a lot now you don't see traveler as much as far as part of their mascot and the band and all of that it's just something special and i think you have to have that and build that into your players it's something special to be offered a scholarship to go to usc and i think these are the type of prides and things you got to have in your program believe me surround yourself with the type of people that have the same passion coaching at usc or being a part of usc you have to have a passion you've got to say i'm so fortunate to be here. You should be fortunate to be here. We've got to represent the tradition at USC. We've got to play and live up to what our alumni have accomplished. We've got to go to the Rose Bowl at least every other year. We're disappointing everybody. We've got to win the Pac-12 championship. We're disappointing everybody and ourselves. So I think that's the pride that you have to have in your program, and your coaches have to have that same pride. The players have to have that same pride, and, and I think the same thing has to do with uh, the parents and, and everyone that's a part of the program. And I think over the last couple of years, a little bit of that has, has disappeared, a little bit of that toughness has disappeared, a little bit of all of that has left the program. And I think that that's what needs to come back into the program. And it's not an easy thing to do because everybody is caught up with USC during this period of time. There's other great teams in the conference now. So you've got to make great strides. And USC still has that target on their back. Believe me, the number one team that everybody wants to play, if it's Notre Dame, who is it? USC. 
If it's UCLA, it's USC. If it's Stanford, it's USC. It's not Cal. It's USC, USC, USC. So you've got to bring that back of who we are. What do we stand for? No one comes into the Coliseum. No one and beats us here. No one. So I think that's one thing I might have done a little bit different. Not that these guys don't try to do that, but I don't think you're trying to do that when you're waving towels on the sideline. And you're, you're trying to do get kids in the game by waving towels or doing those type of things. I don't think that what is USC. And I don't know how many of you believe in what I'm saying or not. I'm just saying how I feel, and that's how the question was. And I think you've got to become physical. Not that you're not physical, but I think that it tended the program to go a little soft. Where when you try to throw the ball every down and set records and receivers catching 100 passes and all the different things and away from the running game, you come a little soft. You're trying to do it the easy way rather than the black and blue way and the scrapes on the elbow and the bloody noses and all the things that uh, if you've been a football player, you know what I'm talking about. So basically I could go on and on and on and talk about this, but you can tell I have a passion for that and you have to have a passion. I hope that passion is coming back. All right. Good stuff there, coach. Uh, Let's go. Matt had a question. He said over the past few years, I've become concerned that players coming to USC are not fully developing as a result of coaching. I look at schools like Kansas State, Boise State, Nebraska, and even Fresno State, take three-star players and make them look like NFL and make them NFL draft choices. I see a pattern of players that get much better as a result of coaching and hard work. When I think of players like Matt Barkley, Sua Cravens, and other USC superstars, I don't see them developing as much as star players in other programs. Do you share this concern, uh, Matt? Matt, I uh, share that concern. I see a lot of players uh, go on and play in the NFL that didn't play at USC, had very successful careers. I think there's a different way of uh, recruiting at different universities because a lot of universities don't have the the opportunity to get four- and five-star players. So they take the three- and four-star players and turn them into players because those players are willing to redshirt. Those players are willing to put in another year to develop, so they're a year older. When you get a four- and five-star player, that guy wants to go to your school, but he also is thinking immediately about the NFL, why he's been pampered and rated as a four- and five-star player, and he's pictures on magazines and he's committing on TV and one week he's going to one school and the next week he's going to another school and whatever. So a lot of these three-star players want to beat these four-star players that they've been reading about and been riding the back of the bus for. And you've got to be careful too when you take all of these four and five-star players that they are not early developers, which means when they're a senior or junior, they've almost reached their peak. They have been training so long that there isn't that margin of getting that much better. So you've got to be able to be careful there, and you've got to be able to make sure you forecast a player's ability as far as how good can this player be. And then you have to drive these players. You can't be intimidated or worried about are they going to hurt, are they going to get hurt, or what their thoughts are. It's your job as a coach to bring the potential out of them. Not be their friend, 
but have their respect and they know that you care about them. So you've got to take away all that NFL talk if you can, but what? That's what happens. You get a lot of five-star players, they don't want to get hurt because their money is in the NFL. And you think about it for a moment. Does it make sense? So they're not willing maybe to sacrifice at the level that a three-star player is with the redshirt year and all of the above to do that. And that's why a lot of these players do mature and catch up with the five-star player. All right, coach. Good one there. Yeah, you know, sometimes a five-star player is just, you know, they're just so far advanced um, and they're already at the ceiling. You know, you don't know. It's like that's part of the evaluation process is you could get the best player that you see right now, but will that player get better or are they already at their ceiling? And you get some of the three-star guys that are, they're pretty good now, but can get a lot better because they have a much higher ceiling. You're right. And, you know, I want to mention another thing. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned the the change of the uniform as far as dress with the socks and shoes. And if you were listeners then, I just, this just flashed in my mind. So I wanted to talk about it. They're going back to the black shoes, the white shoelaces, and the white socks. Well, I don't know, Ryan, if you saw this or not, but the NCAA has now got a dress pattern of how you wear your uniform. And you've always heard me talk about uniforms, how important they are. You can't look sloppy. You got to look good and all this and that. Well, now you can't let your T-shirt hang out. So many players, uh, you've heard me complain about that, hanging out, and uh, the jersey, uh, long jerseys hanging down. Now the rule is, if you wear a T-shirt, it's got to be tucked in. It can't be sticking out below the jersey, and if you're not going to tuck your jersey in, it's got to be at your pant level. All the same. No more hanging out jerseys, T-shirts and all of the above, the things you've heard me talk about so many times on this show. you got to look like a football player to play like a football player. So uh, I'm very happy with that rule change, and I think that will help the image of a lot of programs. All right. Uh, we got a couple more for you, and we'll let you go. Tarek uh, wrote in. He said, what do you think of Joel Klatt's comments on the herd? And uh, you know, Joel Klatt's a college football analyst. Um and he was on uh, with Colin Cowherd on his radio slash TV show last week uh, on Wednesday. And we were tweeting, uh, live tweeting kind of the, some of the interesting things he was saying. And it, it created this huge mes- message board thread, Coach, on the Peristyle on USCfootball.com. So I'll read you a couple of things. If you Did you actually catch that, Coach, or did you see No, it? I did not. No. So I'll give you, we, we tweeted a bunch of the, the highlights of what he said and then kind of get your comments on it. Um, so he started off with talking about the USC hire since Pete Carroll, uh, on the administrative side and the coaching level are quote unquote soaked in insecurity. Um, he said the USC, uh, the didn't want to be told no by a big name because they feel like it would be embarrassing to the brand. Um, he said that they, USC thinks more highly of themselves than they actually are, uh, on USC fans. Um, he said, uh, he hopes that Clay Helton succeeds. It just wasn't the type of name that they needed to hire. He said Pat Hayden was extraordinarily insecure in the way that he hired people. He did specifically did not want to be told no. Um, he says Clay's going to have to have a very good season to not be in very much hot water at the end of the year. He thinks that Alabama will run the ball for 300 yards, yards on them in week one. And it won't be pretty. And they've gotten away from what's made them great under Pete Carroll, depth, uh, quality of the defensive front, 
And he the last thing was the USC defensive front seven is a mess. He said it's like a quote wet paper bag. So not a former Colorado quarterback Joel Klatt. Um, those were kind of the comments he was making on the herd, and it was uh, it caused quite a controversy and stir with USC fans. So maybe kind of get your thoughts on all of that, Coach. Well, well, I think it should. He should look at the Colorado program first, okay? <laughs> See what you're doing at home before you go on the road and talk about other people. I used to say that all the time. I mean, people would go in the home recruiting and they'd talk about my program when I was in the uh, when they were in the home rather than their program. I'd go in and say, "Well, what what did the Colorado coach have to say?" And he said about uh, Colorado. I said, "Coach, he talked a whole lot about your program." That's because I said he didn't have anything to talk about. And uh, I think that that's. Uh, I mean, Joel's a, a national college football analyst now. He just played. You know, he played. I don't care if he's a college analyst or not. You know, those are those are pretty strong, you know, statements to say. I mean, maybe he's, that's his feelings, and then I guess he should. You know, he can. He has the right to say what he thinks. Uh, I think some points uh, has got some truth to it. I think some tr- points don't have some truth to it. I- I'm glad he said he's wishing Clay Helton the best of luck, because I certainly am too. I want him to go out against the toughest schedule in America that everybody has already said it is and kick some butt. That's why we're talking about the way it is. And and uh, But, you know, it's hard for me to say, you know, and I try to always be honest with our listeners, you know, negative things about people. Because I'm not in the coaching room. I'm not in the on the committee that selects coaches. And I don't know if they wanted to go after somebody and the guy wasn't interested. But I certainly hope they did. Because I said earlier about the tradition of USC, I don't know who wouldn't want to coach at USC. I don't know. Now, Nick Saban is solid where he is. And there are other coaches that are solid where they are. Urban Meyer, they don't have to make a coaching change. But there's a lot of great coaches out there that say, man, just call me. I'd love to coach. I think one mistake they made, and since we're talking about this, I think they should have hired Ed Ordron. I think that that was a big blunder, and I think that it divided the support at USC, the players as well as the alumni and the boosters. I'm not sure about the administration, but I think Ed deserved the opportunity. I think he deserved the opportunity, if nothing else, to be given a year to get the program together and hire his coaches and say, after the year, we'll evaluate you, Ed. And he would have done that. And he would have known if he did a good job or not. And the kids would have loved it. And I think the public would have loved it. I think that was one of the biggest turning points of the USC football program. I think that divided the program more than anything. Not the sanctions and not going after the NCAA like they should have. They just let that ride and tried to play politics, and that just ate them up. That was stupid. But, you know, I think that was probably, over the last several years, the biggest mistake that they made. And I don't know why Pat Hayden didn't want to hire Ed Orgeron. Was he too strong? Could have been. Was he too popular? Could have really been. Because everybody loved him. Everybody. I mean, he was Mr. Trojan. I mean, why wouldn't you have given this guy a chance? 
And then if he did make it, it would have been a great move. I'm a genius. Pat Hayden is a genius. If it didn't, then everybody said he had a chance. So that's that's how I feel on that. I can't answer all parts of that question because I can't even remember all of them. <laughs> um, well, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I agree with some of the stuff that Joel Klatt said. I do feel that, and I agree with what you said about Ed Ordron. If you would have looked at the day they didn't hire him to today, if you would have changed that, hired him, what would the record be for USC? And would they have had a coach for 18 games and have him be gone? Like, I, I really think that they would, the program would have been better off keeping Ed Ordron and then hiring Steve Sarkeesian. Um, I felt that at the time. You know, obviously you feel it now when he gets fired after 18 games. Um, but for, for Joel Klatt, um, I, I do think the administration and the, the fans and coach, when we were talking to people on the message boards, they wanted to go after big names, big name hires. Um, at, for head coach and athletic director. And I think you took, they took a route where it was, you were hiring people that would definitely not say no. Um, and so I think there's some truth to what he said about that, that there was a fear of being told no instead of kind of swinging for the fences and going for, you know, really kind of big name hires. They were, they were trying to keep it to people they knew, people that they trusted. And just, you know, it wasn't going out on a limb or, or out on, you know, branching out in any way. Um, you know, getting people that they're more familiar with, but I don't agree with the front seven and, and that it's a wet paper bag and all of that. It's certainly, uh, it's a younger group. Um, uh, but you know, bringing in the transfer from Utah, uh, bringing in, you know, a JC guy to help kind of add some veteran, uh, you know, depth there on the defensive line and some really stout young players that were freshmen last year. They're going to be expected to do a lot more this year as sophomores. And I think a really good linebacking crew. I don't think it's going to be. A wet paper bag front seven. Um, how well are they going to play? Uh, overall, as a defense, I think they're going to be a lot more aggressive with Clancy Pendergast. I think that's going to make a big difference, too. It's not just about personnel. I think the scheme is going to fit the type of athletes that USC has all over the place. So I don't think, you know, I don't really agree with what Joel Klatt was saying on that side, but I do on the other side as far as not wanting to be told no. Well, you know, uh, I don't see how an athletic director could look at that and without trying to go after a big name. You know, you're better to try and fail than not try at all. Uh, I've always said that always. So so you contact some of these. What, what's wrong with somebody saying, no, I'm happy where I'm at? Nothing. But uh, you have a responsibility, I think, as an athletic director to get the best football coach to represent your team and players and university. So if Pat did not do that, then I, I don't think he did the proper job. And if he did, and the best person that he felt and the committee felt should be the head football coach, if there was a committee, was Clay Helton. Then I understand that. But I think you have a responsibility to do that. Now, I don't know if he did that or didn't do that. I don't know. But uh, it is what it is. And as far as the defensive line is concerned, you know, I spoke last week when I was in Vegas at uh, College of Southern Nevada to their athletic department, their coaches, administrators, and so on. And, you know, one thing I pointed out was you got to always turn a negative to a positive. You know, if you're not strong at one area, then you make it strong by showing confidence to your players. You don't talk about your weaknesses in your program. You talk about the strengths in your programs and how much confidence you have in kids stepping up and 
playing a certain area that we don't have a lot of depth at. You, you don't tear down kids, you build up kids. And I'll tell you, they certainly have the talent, if they recruited possibly, right, correctly, to play hard. And I think with an aggressive defense, that takes a lot of pressure off of the front uh, uh, D-line. So, you know, I want to believe that these kids can go out there and play. I want them to know that I believe in them to go out and play and play their tail off. And I want the offense to understand the better offense they have and ball control they have, the more rest the defense gets. And take advantage of the field positions the defense gives you. Take advantage of all of the things that your defense can do for you and understand the more first downs you make, the better you're going to be defensively. So, you know, I, I'm not buying into all that stuff. I'm going to wait and see what they do on the field, not what everybody thinks. All right, and we got one last uh, kind of question, kind of comment. We'll get your thoughts on it. Lamar out in Lancaster, he says, Hello, Trojan fans. Can you feel the anticipation of the new season? One more year of seasoning veteran leadership from the front seven on defense, and USC will be that consistent 10-win team, but it starts now. Run the ball between the tackles with few mistakes. Be stout with the defensive front, and that should allow for fewer snaps and shorter game times. If you don't, uh, you don't have to win a championship to have pride. Ask Stanford when, when was the last time they won an NCAA title in football. Winning ten games or more, seven out of ten years, should be the benchmark for excellent for excellence at USC. There's nothing wrong with losing to the Bruins in a dogfight, uh, but you better not get beat by that. Kitty cat. Okay. Fight on and man up. Uh, Lamar from Lancaster. Lamar, that's basically what we've been talking about. You take Stanford, and I think that's probably the quietest great program in America. You hear about all the other teams, Clemson. Not that Clemson's a great team. Ohio State's not a great team. Alabama, but hey, Stanford right now has learned how to win. There's a lot of confidence up there, but no one gives them really the credit that they deserve what he's done, David Shaw and Harbaugh, there at Stanford. And I think the same type of, you don't hear them talking about what they don't have. They talk about what they do have. And I think that's what has to be discussed when you talk about your football team at a press conference or media day. You talk about the positives of what your program is and how fortunate we are to have great players and have a great schedule and open up against Alabama, what it's all about. Now, when you play this Alabama game, you've got to represent the university. How many people think they're going to beat Alabama? I don't know. But the point is, you better go down there thinking you're going to beat them, and I would be selling that from day one. Because uh, if you're going to play big-time teams, you've got to play big-time. And you know exactly where you are, how far you are from winning a national championship when you play these type of teams. So, you know, Lamar, it's uh, it's, it's uh, great to see people involved in the game of football like you are and feel like you do and have your opinions like you do, and I appreciate you checking in with us. All right, Coach, I know you got a, you got a busy day you gotta today. Run. you got to get going, but thanks again for coming on the show and uh, sharing all your ins insights. Good stuff. Thank you very much, Ryan, and for everybody out there, keep them coming in and, in the near future, I'm going to have a little uh, release for all of you, okay? Awesome. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. And uh, thanks, Coach, and everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Going to try to do a couple more podcasts this week. 
heading into fall camp. We're going to do some uh, video previews on, on the site, too, on uscfootball.com. So make sure you check all of that out, and we will talk to you next time. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.